following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. We thank you as we've been reminded this morning in our first song that you're immutable, that you don't change, that your love endures forever. That, uh, that you're a forever God that, uh, that wants us to be forever with you and that you've made that possible. And, uh, and you've invited us into an intimate relationship to call you Father and Lord Jesus to call you bridegroom and friend. Lord, uh, thank you. Thank you that you've made a, a deposit in us that, uh, that seals us for eternity and that we've been bought with a price and we are not our own. Please help us today to be prepared to come to a table that has declared our freedom, our ransom, our rescue, our salvation, our purity. Uh, You have done all this that we are no longer um, debtors, but we are free um, because of what you've done for us, Lord Jesus. You suffered a debt that was not yours, but ours. And you quench the wrath of God on our behalf. So now we can know this perfect love that uh, that rescues us. And there is no more punishment for our sin because you willingly took as the righteous one, the innocent one, uh, those things on our behalf. Help us to know the wonder of that miracle and that love. Father, I pray for Alex and his family and the homecoming of his sister. I thank you for the way that you've uh, healed so many of us recently from sickness. Thank you for Joseph and Richard and Gina and many others. Uh, thank you that Miss Judy's feeling better and, uh, and John is on the road to recovery. Just thank you for the healing that uh, comes from you as our great physician. And, um, and we, ex- we acknowledge our need of you and comfort for so many, and uh, thank you for just the way that you're raising up leadership for the ministry that uh, that you long to do through us and in us. And uh, we ask your blessing over these things and ask, Lord, that we would just be sensitive to your spirit and keep in step, that we wouldn't have plans, but that you would be our plan. And, uh, and we love you, Lord. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts that today, Lord, that they would be pleasing in your sight. That, uh, Lord Jesus, you would be lifted up so that you would draw men unto yourself. That you would rescue us from our brokenness, from our, from our sickness and secrets, from our guilt and shame. Lord, that you would show us today that, that uh, though we have fallen as humanity, that we've been rescued. And, uh, and we thank you for these things. Please open our hearts and minds to the truth of your word. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to start, oh, why not? Let's start in verse 1. Okay, so let's dive in. So today we're just going to look at the first 10 verses. There's so much content here. There's so much to glean. There's so much value for us here in 2023 to understand, like, our baseline, our spiritual baseline, and understand, like, what caused the fall, and understand the enemy's deceptive nature, and understand God's heart, 
Like there's so much value here. So we will look at the first 10 verses today. We'll look at the next 14 verses next week. Um, and I hope that you will over this week really dig into this, this passage because there's so much benefit. So as we look at verse one, it says this, and now the serpent was more crafty. What does the word crafty mean? Um, the word literally means subtle or skilled in de- deceit or both. Subtly skilled in deceit. So the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? So who's this serpent? Like, do we have any insight in the in the rest of God's word about who this serpent is? Well, let's start at Luke 10, verses 17 and 18, because Jesus had something to say. And in verse 17, 18 in Luke 10, which we've just been in recently, Jesus had sent the 72 out, 72 individuals, two by two, going out to different corners and uh, of Palestine, ministering, preparing the way for the gospel, uh, ministering and uh, healing and casting out demons. They were given specific authority for that. And it says this, and the 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us. Uh, in your name, you know, the, it's funny, the, the, the chosen just kind of captured this particular moment. And, you know, they're blown away that God would, you know, that Jesus would even send them without himself to go and do these things and that they would have authority and it would actually happen. Right. They're just blown away that they would be used this way. And so you can imagine when they come back and they're reporting to Jesus all that 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 he had done through them and they're just, they're enamored. And this is what he says to them. He, he said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in, in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall or Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Okay, so what what is Jesus saying here? One, he is talking about something that transpired Transpired. Spired. Gosh. Something that transpired before the fall, like before the fall. So by the way, like the fall wasn't day eight, like wasn't God rested and then the fall. Like there was, there was, there were things that transpired and I said, spired, that's good. So like, and in what happened here was, um, he, he, when, you know, there's, there's statements that Jesus makes, like before Abraham was, I am. Like, I mean, that's, that statement is just filled with, with radical, like, um, it's a statement of divinity. Like, like, you know, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. Like, I was there before Abraham was born. He's saying that he literally, Jesus saw Satan and a third of the angels fall from heaven. So when we go to Revelation, we have the benefit of chapter 12 and 20 is we get we get an idea of like the initial fall of Satan, you know, prior like prior to our fall. And uh, and then we get another picture of what's going to happen to Satan later on here as we move forward towards Christ's return. So in Revelation 12, and again, what's our pursuit here? We're trying to figure out what does the scripture say about this serpent 
that we see in the garden narrative. Um, and, and as we go to Revelation 12, 7 through 9, listen to what it says. Now war arose in heaven. Now, again, let me give context here. This is before the fall of humanity, before what we're talking about today. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. What's this dragon? And the dragon and his angels fought, fought back. But he, speaking of Michael, did, but I'm, I'm sorry, of the dragon, or we find out here, Satan, was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the dragon, the great dragon, was thrown down, and now we're given description. That ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, or we say Satan. And then we're told this, the deceiver of the whole world. So he leaves God's abode, God, the heaven, and he heads, he's thrown down to earth. And what he proceeds to do is his, his desire is to deceive. He's the father of lies. He's the accuser of the church, the brethren. He was thrown down to earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Okay, we see that. That's the context of, of what's, what's happening there. Now, as we fast forward beyond even our days, we see in Revelation 21 through 3, then I saw an angel come down from heaven. Now, this is one of God's good angels, like this is a, a heavenly messenger, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, who's now on earth, the ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years is ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. And we don't have time to get, we will, but we don't have time to get into this. Yeah, but I wanted us to understand who this serpent character is. Now, it's interesting that we're told in the New Testament that we are called to be wise as what? Interesting, right? Wise as serpents and innocent as... Right, isn't that interesting that that, that there's a characteristic of wisdom that's given to this 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 evil character that has an, an intention to steal, kill, and destroy. Like we're to be as wise, but we're not to be, we're not to participate in evil, right? And so I, I want to show you another passage to help us unpack this serpent and kind of its relationship, his relationship with the bride. So look, in, look with me in 2 Corinthians 11, 1 through 3. And this is Paul talking to the church. And there's some beautiful things that nuances that we discover here. It says, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Paul's talking to the church. Arguably, this is the third or fourth letter in, in their correspondence. And Paul says, do bear with me. For I feel a, a divine jealousy for you. Now, what he's saying is, is I love you with a godly love. I feel this, this sense of just... Uh, just love as a spiritual father, right? Uh, since I betrothed you, right? And they taught betrothed past tense to you, to one husband. Who's the husband? 
to Jesus, right? I betrothed you to, and this is what happens in our salvation is we are, we are, we become the bride of Christ. And, and then he goes on to say, to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. That is the implications of the cross. That is the implications of what Christ has done in our salvation is he has made us white as snow. Do you see that? Like, and, and what's happening is through the sanctifying work of God's spirit and his word is through our journey of faith, growing up in the Lord, he is purifying us and making us this radiant bride that is discussed in Ephesians 5. And so he goes on to say, but I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray by a sincere, or excuse me, from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And he's talking about like another gospel and just false teachers. And, and it's so like, it's so important that we are students of the word. And as we'll look at this passage this morning, like it's so important that we, we know God's word, not a version of it, not a paraphrase of it, because there's danger in that, that we know the truth of God's word. When, whenever we give God's word, that we should give it straight from the, making sure that there is, there is no error in, because it loses its intention and its authority when it's no longer his word, but a version of his word. Does that make sense? Right? And that's where things fall apart. Um, so I want to ask another question here. Why did the serpent pick on Eve? And guys, it's very clear that, that he does that. So let me ask a question. Where's Adam? When, he, when, the, when the serpent is intentionally dialoguing with Eve. Right there. He's right there. Okay, I want to ask another question. In the, in the book of Romans and elsewhere, who is held accountable for the fall? Adam is. Adam is held responsible for the fall. Okay, let's make sure that that's clear as well. So why is the serpent talking intentionally to Eve? Why is, why is he like seeking to deceive her and Adam is right there? Okay, let's look for a moment at a passage. 1 Peter 3, 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in a, what's the word? In order to understand someone, what is critical? Thank you. Right? We're given two ears and one mouth for a reason. Right? Like, in order to, to understand someone's hard disposition, are, are men different than women? Do we maybe see things differently? Mars and Venus, you know, all of that. So isn't it required, isn't it necessary for a husband? Like if you're called by God to lead something, like isn't it important that you understand the heart of the, of especially when it's people that, that you're leading? Like parents, for your kids, isn't it critical that you understand their disposition? They're wiring like isn't every individual unique? And isn't it isn't it like 
devastating to put a stereotype on a child that is not native to their disposition. When, when parents are like, I've got plans for you, son. <laughs> well, maybe God's got different plans that's woven into the fabric of that child's disposition. And maybe that's maybe a greater objective. And maybe it's so unique that we need to, we need to ask the Lord to help us as parents to understand the uniqueness of this glorious gift that's been entrusted that I would steward, not mine, but his, so that I might, I might help them to navigate into his plan for their lives. And, and it's not much different for husbands with wives. We've been given an, a divine appointment as leaders in the home to lead as servants for the purpose of our wife's radiance, like for the purpose of her protection and provision. Like this is not an ego trip, gentlemen, as husbands, right? What should Adam have done here? Spoke up, right? Who got the command directly from God? Adam, Eve, both who? Only Adam. Why is Eve so misrepresenting that command when asked in this text? She got it from Adam. And it's not, it's clearly not correct in, 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 in two critical ways. When we, when we pass down God's word to our children and to those we're discipling, is accuracy important? I mean, do we have the authority to add to God's word in order to give restrictive provision, in order to try to, uh, to, to, to maintain its, its... No, we compromise God's word when we do things like, no, we can't even touch it. Now, whether that was Adam's you know, miscommunication or Eve's interpretation, the, the point is, is that it's not accurate. It's so it, it lacks the authority. More importantly, it, it lacks the intention of God's heart. And it's exactly what the Pharisees did, right? Exactly. They took God's law that was meant to communicate his heart of, of provision and protection, and they turned it into restrictive behaviors. Now you can't work. You can't walk, but this distance on the, that was on the Sabbath. That's not the point. God was saying that you need time with me. You're desperate for it in order to shine. So it says here, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. We just said that, guys, can we agree that as husbands we need to be, we need to get out of the fix-it mode and we need to get in the listening mode. Do you know, I read a book that, um, that was very helpful for me. It was called, you know, Meta from Mars, Women from Venus, um, and, and several others that were meant to help understand this counterpart that we've been given. And in other words, they're completely different from us in order that we might fit together for, 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 for greater work. Like, and one of the things that it said was husbands, this was the challenge that wives just simply need to be heard and held, not fixed. And let me, let me just unpack that for a moment. That oftentimes when, when, when a wife has a relational conflict, an emotional experience, like something that's just 
burdening her heart. You know, guys, I mean, I'm just saying as a guy, like, we love them. We want to fix the problem. And it frustrates the wife because what she ultimately wants is to be heard and held. Now, wives, I'm going to give you a little insight here. Guys are the complete opposite. We want to fix whatever's giving us mental or emotional or relational. So we need our cave for a little bit. We, need, we don't want to be held, and we don't want to talk about it. We just want to be able to go and process and get a plan in place so we can fix it. So when a woman comes in, it's like, oh, talk to me. Tell me what's going on. You know, let me hold. Like, mm, right? right? But similarly, women are like, quit trying to fix me. I Just listen, right? Just listen to me. And what, when I started practicing this, look, don't even, guys, don't even try to understand it because you'll never understand it. Just practice it, right? Like, so, so I, I started practicing early in our marriage with Sheba and I just was sitting there and, and it was the hardest thing in the world not to go into fix mode. Like, and, and I would do it and I'm like, oh, there I go again. And I, and I, and I said, I said, okay, let me just practice this. So I said, well, honey, tell me what's, you know, and, and just listened. And after I listened and she got to process, I just held her and she was good as gold. And I'm like, we didn't fix anything. <laughs> like, how can you be so happy? Like, and, but that's, there are radical differences between men and women, right? I mean, just in our, in our, in our anatomy. Do you know, do you want to do an incredible study about the differences of men and women? Just in the brain alone, it is unbelievable, the differences, and it goes on and on and on. And so what we're told here is likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing, what's the next word, guys? Honor. Jesus is such a great example of both of these things, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. You know, Rob, I never read this passage without thinking of you preaching out back on that deck during COVID. The marvelous sermon on this, right? Like we don't want our prayers with the Lord, with each other as husband and wife to ever be hindered. And husbands were told that if we don't honor our wives and we don't listen for to seek understanding, that this is going to cause some hindrance in, in the most intimate thing in marriage, which isn't sex. But, but prayer. And um, so I want to just tackle for just a moment because I know probably women just cringe at this weaker vessel statement, right? Like, what? We are not. Like, so especially in our current co- context and culture, right? And, but but let's, let's look at some obvious statements here. Um, before I do, I want to I dive into one little principle here that Blessed my heart. So how was Eve formed? Do you guys remember this? From the side. Of, so Eve was not taken from his head to be over him. Wasn't taken from his feet to be under him. But from his side to be beside him and close to his heart. Right? Like that. that that's, we need to get that. Right? It's so important. There, there's there's a partnership here. There's there's a there, there's and it really wasn't companionship that God authored this relationship. It was to 
that that Adam needed what? A helper suitable for the for the, the purpose of ruling creation. Now let me let me unpack one more thing. The rule we've turned rule into a four letter word, right? Because because we have let ego and pride and greed define this beautiful word. But when God said this in this context, the only rule they knew was his. And let me tell you, it was beautiful. It was protective. It was provisional. It was loving. It was kind. It was gentle. It was for their benefit. So that's what, when they heard that word, they understood that we're to take care of creation. We're to, we're to lead in for, 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 its, for its glorification, for its, for its beautification, right? So that's the understanding. But sometimes we put, you know, 20, 23 years on when we're reading there going, you know, and, and what we find in the, in the fall is that it says that, you know, women are going to experience greater pain, and we'll get to this next week, Greater pain, there'll be pain, but there's greater pain now in all of life. But even in giving birth, be fruitful and multiply. But also that your desire will be for contrary him. And if we get to chapter four, we get a very clear understanding that what is being said here is your desire will be to usurp his authority. That's in the nature, that's in the sinful nature of man. I'm not just saying women, but man in general, we don't want anybody telling us what to do. Even this glorious King Jesus, who has nothing but the best in mind for us, we still want to be our own boss. We don't want anybody telling us, so this earthly guy, male husband, who's obviously flawed, is not telling me what to do. Right? And yet that's exactly what God says is the blueprint for the the healthy home, heart, and marriage. In fact, it's your covering, ladies. It's your covering to protect you. And guys, that's your purpose. What should Adam have done in that moment? Get out of here. Depart from us. Flee. Right? Like, we don't want anything to do with you. Right? Like, he knew the command firsthand from God. He should have been quick to say, you know, but, and we'll talk about this in a minute. What was keeping him from talking? You know, that's the problem with men today, is they're passive because they don't want to deal with the conflict. They don't want to deal with the, or on the other side is, you know, like, they don't want to be at odds with their wife. And so they're, they, they, they've, they've, they've forfeited their, their, their God-given role as, as humble, godly leader. Um, and man, I believe, I don't know, but I believe ladies are hungry for Christ-like leadership that lives for the glory of God and the beautification of her. Protection, provision, right? And, and stands up for truth. Right? So here's the thing that God gave me this week that I loved. How, how was Christ's bride formed? 
Do you know it's the same way? They stuck a spear in his side and blood and water flowed. The blood of Christ was was poured out from his side and we were we were made his bride. Isn't that a beautiful parallel? I just love that. So speaking of the weaker vessel, like, you know, I I want us to understand what's being said here and what's not being said here. It's not weaker in value, in in the um, in the image of God, in the salvation that's offered to humanity. None of that. It's talking about the physical vessel that we live in, right? This is not our lives, by the way. This is not who we are. This is the tent, right? And uh, so I think of illustrations like this. There's a reason we have a WNBA and an MBA. Um, there's a reason we have an LPGA and a PGA. If if you look at the Olympics, I mean, there's men and women categories. Why? Because if you put the top PGA golfer against, you know, there's a reason the, tea, the, the ladies' tees are up there. I'm not trying to be condescending. It's just, it's the truth. Like, there, there, there's, there's weakness within the vessel that God designed intentionally in order for man to be stronger for the purpose of protection, care, right? And, and so what, don't miss this, guys. What is your superior strength meant for but to love and care and protect and provide for yours? Right? It's not meant for your ego. It's not. Weaker in susceptibility to temptation, some have said. But I think it's because the enemy knew he got the, the command of God firsthand. And man, if I'm going to get to him, I think it's probably easier to go through her. And, you know, Fred brought up a great point. Like, you, know, you notice how kids, they don't even have to be trained in this. If they don't get their way from dad, they'll go to mom to try to get their way with, you know what I mean? Like, and that's what we're seeing, right? That's what we're seeing. Needs covering, covering by design. Like, okay, so I put in there, the, 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 the point is, like, that, that, that wives need covering by design. And what do I mean by covering? God is assigned. You ever notice that, um, who was man? Who was Adam created in the image of? Right? Let us make man in our own image. Both male and female, but man, my... So then who begot Adam? God. Biblical authority. Then who, where did God take... Where, where, where did God... From whom did God take to create Eve? Right? Intentionally. He didn't do that in any other format but that in order to assign biblical authority and covering. And then isn't it interesting, where do children come from? Adam? Man? No, woman. Why? Because, again, assigning biblical authority. Right? Those are the layers of biblical authority. But here's what we do, guys. Don't miss this. We don't want anybody to... You ever seen a teenager? Anybody seen a teenager? Right? Like, I mean... Or was one, right? <laughs> like, here's the deal. We don't want anybody telling us what to do. So we run out of these biblical authorities, which are protections, 
and now we're susceptible to the enemy. Or our biblical authority, like in this case, is failing to fulfill its role. Breaks my heart. But, but man, when this, is, when this is lived out and understood, there is so much benefit. There's so much value. But we live in a culture that rejects this biblical paradigm completely. You know, I'm going to hyphenate my name because I'm not taking your name. But, um, but guys, do you know that we are, we are invited into the name of Jesus in this bridal and greet, this, this covenant with Christ? Think about that. But in the, 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 you know, like, I'm not taking his name, right? And all of that matters. Like lifting the veil at a wedding. That's a picture of what Christ is going to do at the end of the day and reveal himself to us. The covenantal ring. I mean, the, the list is long. The fact that the bride walks down the center aisle, the Abrahamic covenant, covenant, and that one family, family on either side and the, co- I mean, all of that matters. But when we throw that stuff out, we miss the value of all these wonderful moments. Husbands, protect your wives. And wives, live under your husband's protection from the deceiver. Please. Verse 2 and 3. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of... Now, listen to the nuance here. We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree in the, that is in the midst of the garden. Is that what God said? No. You shall not, you should not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because if you look in verse 9 of chapter 2, there's another tree in the middle of the garden. And it's called the tree of life. How, how necessary is that? And now there, her, in, in, in her statement, you're to avoid all trees in the middle of the garden. Right? It's just misstated. Neither shall you touch it. Did God say that? No. Look, this is what we do. We make God's word, which is meant to, to declare his love and care and provision and protection for us, into the. we make it more strict and we turn it into this cold law that, doesn't, that does not communicate his heart at all. Isn't that what the Pharisees did? Right? Let me, let me, let me go ahead and, and then it says, if you touch it, you, you know, lest you die. Listen to what the, the actual command is in, in, in chapter 2. Verse 16, specifically given to Adam. And it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden. Doesn't that sound like freedom? Right? But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. The NIV actually says, When you eat of it. Because that's what the the Hebrew is saying. In other words, God's saying, you're going to do it. I know you will. And that day, this is what's going to happen. Right? He, but he was warning them, even though he knew. Guys, do you think that God knows our future? Do you think he knows we're going to fail at times? A lot of times. You know, and yet he tells us, do you know that that big chunk of his word is telling us not to do it? Like First John 1 says, don't sin. Just don't do it. But if you do, There's one that has paid the price. Come and confess your sins to a faithful and just God. We'll get to that. But like, it's so beautiful. But 
It is misrepresented. Whatever the timeline is from from God rested on the, on the seventh day to this moment, somehow the word of God had become mis the one command had become misrepresented and, and, and in danger of losing its 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 authority. It was it was no longer what God said. Now guys, what is the implications of that? Was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil the only tree in the middle of the garden? Look at chapter 2, verse 9. It's not. Did God say not to touch it? No, he didn't. We must be careful with God's word. We must share it with careful accuracy. We must receive it as Bereans did, testing the, the, the truth and the accuracy of it. We must hand it down accurately. Amen? Right? And here's the good news. It doesn't depend on us. But we, we, do, we, we, we do God justice and, and we, we honor him when we do. But the Holy Spirit will preserve his word to perfection. We see that with the finding of the uh, Dead Sea Scrolls. Jesus modeled how to overcome the serpent. I want to point this out. What did he say? How did he overcome the serpent? It is written. It is written. It is written. Depart from me. He didn't get into some dialogue with him and, 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 and listen to all. Of, I mean, the, the serpent tried to take God's word and manipulate it into deception in order to get Jesus to do what he wanted him to do. Worship him. Right. And and so. Can we follow Jesus example and realize that the sword of the spirit is the word of God and that it literally fights on our behalf when we simply just quote the word of God it literally overcomes the enemy. Like that's that's how we fight temptation. And in verses four and five, it says, but the serpent said, and he is relentless. He's going after the woman, right? To the woman. I mean, Adam's standing right there. You will not surely die. Lie? See, what the enemy does, and just so that we understand what's going on here, is the enemy is pointing to the physical implications and God is pointing to the spiritual implications and said is if you eat of this, you will die spiritually. You will lose your covering, your righteousness, and we will no longer be close. You will experience shame and guilt and separation, which is death, ultimately death. But the enemy wants us to focus on physical like he wants us to believe that this is our life and we, we, we want to maintain this. this is not. This is our tent, as we'll look at in a minute. So, so here he says, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What is he doing? He's trying to sow doubt about what? God's goodness, God's intention and heart as if God's holding out on them. Rather than what is he really doing? He's protecting them from the knowledge of evil, which leads to what? Yes, separation. The deceiver is also the father of lies. He uses God's truth to twist and to deceive. They were already like God in his image. So what is he trying to do? And don't miss this, guys. He's trying to sow discontent. He uses the same approach today. Like, you don't have enough. You're not enough. If, you know, what did he say to Jesus? Like, you want to talk about arrogant? 
He knew who he was, and he says, if you truly are the Son of God. Like, you don't think he's going to say the same thing to you? If you really are a Christian, you wouldn't, you would. Like, like he lies to us, and he tries to create discontentment with your current context. Think about it. They're living in paradise. They're already in the image of God. And he's trying to get them to, to, to think that, that God's holding back on them. And so now they're going, well, maybe that fruit looks, ooh, it does look good. Ooh, that might even taste good. <laughs> I think I'll take a bite. You know, like, but it all started with the deception because before she wasn't even entertaining the, the, the concept or idea. They were already like God in his image. It is so important that we know our identity because then we're not deceived. Why did, why, why, I don't know how I wrote it like this. Why did God, okay, why did God not want us to know the knowledge of evil? Was he holding back on us? What's that, Julie? Right. It's beyond us, right? But it also leads to our own demise. It destroys us. So what was his intention? Protection. Love, care. Husbands, I hope you heard what just God did is that he, he, he guarded and protected, right? And he gave command in his authority for that purpose. We don't use our authority as husbands to do anything else. It's not for your benefit. It's for the benefit of your family that you've been given authority. You, you lead, like the husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Wives, respect your husbands. And trust me, your husbands aren't worthy of the respect that God wants you to give them. And, and husbands, your wives will never, there'll be times your wives are unlovable, but, but love them. It's not based on how worthy your husband or your wife is to receive these, these commands. It's, it's unto the Lord. We do them unto the Lord and trust that, that God's word is fruitful. And so he, yeah, I already said that. All right. So verses three, three through, uh, verse six says this. So when the woman saw, is it important that the eye is the lamp into the body? Is it important that we don't look upon things that God wouldn't want us to look at? Pornography, on and on. Like, we're given commands to not do things because if we understand the heart of God, it's, it's to protect us. But it's also to protect our loved ones because when we fall, it hurts. So it says, so when the, the woman saw, because she wasn't willing to saw before to see, that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eye. Guys, do you know that when the enemy tempts us to something, and this is still true today, that, man, it might look pretty good. It might even taste pretty good. The Bible even says it's honest with us. It says sin feels good for a season. Delights to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. What does that tell us? She was thoroughly deceived. She believed the lie. She took of its fruit 
and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. See, now she is willing to look and consider eating it. Be careful what you look at. You know, it's interesting to me, like, I don't know if you have ever been in an Eastern context, in a market. Um, and it's interesting, the, the market owners know this principle. That if, you, if you're walking through a market, say in Morocco, you're walking through a market and uh, you're looking at their wares and all of a sudden you see something that, you're, that you like and want. Do you know that your pupil will dilate? That our bodies react to our broken wanter? That's interesting. They use that to their advantage. It, see, it might taste good. And was it a pleasure to look at? Probably. Be careful. Temptation always appears delicious. Temptation always appears delicious. It always promises something it can't deliver. In this case, wisdom. Part of the enemy's plan is to get to Adam through his wife. Right? And like, because that's where his heartstring is. Right? Like, and because one of the things that he says later is because you listened to your wife. Now, can I reinterpret what he's saying there? Because you didn't listen to me. Because you did what she wanted rather than what I wanted. Husbands, can I warn you here? There will be moments that your wife wants something that is not what God wants. And you have to take a stand in that moment and say, in a very loving way, say, this is not for us. It's not for you. And then here's the deal. Does Jesus force us to, to follow him? Does Jesus force us to obey him? Husbands, don't, don't live in that posture, right? Beckon her to obedience. Beckon her to, to honor your, your, your leadership. But if she chooses, don't force that is not the nature of our Savior, right? And it, I think that translates to, to like parenting as well. See, we see here also that we never want to sin alone. Hey, take a bite, right? He was right there and didn't say anything. And we've already talked about the why. Coward. Right? He cared more about what his wife wanted than what God wanted, and both were clear. He gave in to peer pressure is what happened. Man, husbands, are, are, are we capable of this? I know I am. We have to fight that tendency to want uh, to please our wives rather than please our God. Verse 7 goes on to say, then the eyes of both of them were opened to things that they shouldn't and wouldn't, in retrospect, want to see. And they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves long cloths. Guys, this is sorry. This is what we get to do. This is what we tend to do, is that when we, when we sin and we face its consequences, we see it in children, and we face our consequences, like, we, we want to cover it up. We want to... I, I, I did research into a fig leaf. I had a pretty big leaf, right? 
You know, and they sewed them together in order to try to cover their sin. And were they successful in covering their sin? What did God eventually do? He covered it. He covered their sin. But it cost an animal its life because the wages of sin is death, right? And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And so what were their eyes open to? Evil. The knowledge of evil. To what they had done is what their eyes were open to. To their consequences, to the shame and guilt, to what they had lost. So now regret comes into play. They knew they were naked and they lost their life. Now, I'm going to put this together with a passage, guys. It's going to blow your mind. Okay? They were naked. They had lost their life. Listen listen to this. And... and Listen to this. This is 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 10. For we know, now Paul is assuming as believers that this is common knowledge. For we know that if the tent, what's he referring to? Our earthly bodies, that is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have, that is present possession. We already have. We have a building from God. Remember, remember uh, Jesus in, in chapter 14 says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. Like he's talking about our eternal dwelling. But he says, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. What's he talking about? Our glorified bodies. For in this tent, our earthly bodies, we groan. Anybody? Every time I get up, anyway. Um, In this earthly tent, we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. Anybody there? I know I am. Read 1 Corinthians 15. You will be too, right? If indeed by putting it on, speaking of our glorified bodies, we may not be found. What does it say? Do you see it? They had this glorified body in the garden, in paradise. And it gets even better as we continue to read the text. They lost their life, their bodies. And what did Jesus come back to give us? Life. He came back to clothe us in righteousness because we lost that. But so it says, for in this tent, we, we groan longing to put on the heavenly dwellings. If indeed by putting it on, we may, be, we may not be found naked. This is the reversal of the fall, right? For while we are still in this tent, earthly bodies, we groan being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that, oh, here it is, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by, do you see it? It's exactly what we're talking about this morning. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God the Father who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee of the glorified body so that we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the earthly tent, we are away from the Lord for we walk by faith and not by sight. That's the context of that 
famous verse. Yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from this tent, this, this, this earthly body and at home with the Lord in our glorified body. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For what? Then here it is. For we must all, right, whether we, we're in him or not in him, appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the earthly tent, the body, whether good or evil. There will come a day where we stand before Christ. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. And for those that are not clothed, I remind you of the wedding banquet where some didn't have the wedding clothes on. That's, what's been, that's what he's talking about. That those that are clothed in Christ, in his righteousness, their mortality covered up right, by life itself, their nakedness covered now, they're, they're welcomed in. right, And they're given rewards for what they've done in the body. Right in the earthly tent, but for those that are not, eternal separation from life. A place where there's gnashing of teeth. Like these descriptions are sobering. So they sewed fig leaves together, trying to cover their shame. Did it cover their guilt and shame? Can I relieve you of something this morning? Look, if you're in Christ, do you know you can never be guilt? You should, never have, you should never entertain guilt again. Guilt is associated with what? Guilty. Guilty. Right? Like to have guilt, that mean, you mean you're assuming being guilt. And, and, and wait a second, I, th- I, thought we were, I thought we were liberated from that in the cross because of Christ's willing sacrifice. We are justified. That's the first step of salvation. Do you know what that word means? Declared not Are you justified? And if you are, guilt is not from God. Now, I'm not talking about God. I'm not talking about godly sorrow. We should feel conviction. That is a gift of the Holy Spirit, and it comes with power for change. It actually has even joy in it. But guilt and shame are a whole nother ballgame. Do you know what shame is? It's Satan's signature. It's Satan's signature. Like, keep that in mind. And here's the other thing I want you to remember, that your secrets will make you sick. Don't have secrets. Walk it into the light. Be transparent about your failures. Understand. Like in the area of pornography, it's such a betrayal of God's, like, uh, God's purpose. What pornography does, like, so part of the, the, the sexual union of man, the sexuality that is that, that we would experience oneness. And there is a bonding that happens in, the, in, in, this, in, this, in this gift that God's given us that's meant within the context of marriage only. And when, 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 a, when a person gets involved in pornography, what happens is they, they, when it's all over, there's no bonding. It's just loneliness, emptiness. And so it reinforced this chasm in this particular category of life. And so it's so important that we honor God's word and understand that things like pornography is, is adultery. It's sin. But there's an antidote. We have a savior. We have one that just says, you know, produce fruit and keep in keeping with repentance. And what is repentance? As, as Fred marvelously taught us, it's turning from it to him. 
not just simply from it, but it's filling that void with Christ. And then being reconciled to him and making some sort of restitution to the one we've offended, in this case, our wife. Or our bridegroom, or both. And so we, we must understand those things. And then it says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and man and his wife hid themselves. See, when we sin, we try to cover it up. We also try to hide from God as if that's possible. Just like the covering up, we can't cover up our sin. We can't do it. It requires a God act for that to happen. And, and that's what Christ did. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But we also try to hide. And we, know, we don't only try to hide from God. We hide from the church, which is the the representatives of God, like the presence of God on the, the kingdom of God on the earth. So people will just start, stop coming to church, stop being in fellowship. And then I see them several years later. I'm like, how you doing? Well, now I'm divorced now. And I'm, you know, and it just seems these brokenness. It's like this road of brokenness because they've, they've walked outside of the protection of God's church and authority and all of that. And now they've just been riddled with temptation and some of that has had impact. They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. God among, and it says, from the presence of the Lord, God among the trees of the garden. I'm going to pause there. Um, can, can, I, can I read this John passage to you because it's so pertinent for this morning. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with God, with him, while we walk in darkness, hiding, covering up, blaming others, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, and that means that we that we, we own our sin. We, we, we acknowledge that what the light does is it illuminates our darkness and, and we, we, we take it to the cross and we, we believe that the truth sets us free. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Guys, one of the things that's lost when we are not right with God is you can't be right with another believer. When You, you ever notice that when two believers are this is why we're not to be unequally yoked in marriage. When two believers are, are walking with the Lord, in fellowship with the Lord, walking in the light, there is a union there, whether it be friendship or marriage, that is so profound that nothing on earth can, can simulate. It's so rich. It's so deep. It's brotherhood and friendship at a totally different level, Right? If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from how much sin? If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. That's self-deception. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just. The cross brings justice to, like, to us. 
right, at, at Christ's expense, to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from how much unrighteousness? If we say we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. I'm going to pick this up from there. If the worship team would come um, next week. Um, guys, as we, as we go into communion here to close out our time together and uh, prepare for brunch and lunch this, 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 this afternoon, can I say this? Um, do you know that the path back to his presence is confession and repentance, restoration and restitution? Like, and that's what it, that's what Jesus wants us to remember. And he wants us also to remember that, you know, no greater love than this than a man lay down his life for his friends. He also wants us to remember that while yet, or while we were still sinners, Christ raced to ransom us to demonstrate the Father's love for us. So as we sing this song set here in preparation for communion, please examine your heart. Walk into the light. Come up here and pray. Make your seat your altar. Do whatever it takes to walk your darkness into his marvelous light. And when he reveals that the things that aren't right in your life, confess them. Agree with God that it's sin and that you want no part of it anymore. That Jesus covered and paid for it and that you are forgiven. Forgiven. That it's, that's a permanent status. And then you are, you can experience the freedom of being liberated from the burden, the pain, the agony, the destructive nature of sin. And you can experience the the refreshment of your soul. So during the song, maybe it's maybe it's you don't need to sing. You need to you need to pray. You need to get on your I don't know. I don't know, but God knows and the Holy Spirit is doing ministry in you right now. Maybe that today's the day that you need to surrender your life to Christ. You need you need a bridegroom because as a bride you're you have no covering. And you need you need rescue today and I would encourage you just cry out to him. There's no special words. You just need to acknowledge the fact that you've fallen short of his glory and that you need a rescuer. And you acknowledge that only Jesus could do that. And and I'm no longer going to be Lord of my life. I want you to be Lord. And would you cover my sin and, and seal me with your spirit so that I might be yours, not just now, but forever. Do you know that, that he's inviting you into all of that? And so spend time with the Lord in this time. Sing if that's what you need to do. Pray, whatever. But but let's be reminded as we prepare to, to come and to receive yet again. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.